If you want your kids to get good grades, this episode is for you. We end season two with a bang of an episode, finishing off our conversation about preventing anxiety in our kids. We tackle the toxicity of our achievement culture. It's so normalized, it's invisible to us. And one listener asks, how can she develop a strong work ethic in her eight-year-old twins? And Lynn has a must-hear answer for kids of any age. Why is skill building more important than outcomes? We'll answer that question in this week's episode of Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, the show for real talk about worry and other big feelings in parenting. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for 30 years. You're here because your family has some anxiety issues or you want to prevent them. I'm your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law, Robin, and I'm here to ask your questions. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'll help you find your way. Okay, Lynn, I have a listener question from a listener who has been following this series we've done on preventative strategies that we're calling the anxiety vaccine. Mm -hmm. So here's what she says. I've listened to the anxiety vaccine episode a few times, and my question is this. How do we find the balance of having expectations for our kids to be good humans in the future, but not create anxiety around high performance? Our twins are eight. And my husband and I are by no means overachievers, but work ethic is important to us. And we do want to set them up with skills like completing their work, doing good work, and finishing things on time. They don't seem anxious now, but I get confused on what appropriate expectations are and how do you find a good balance. All right. So I love this question for a few reasons. One is because this is something that I'm hearing a lot of people talk about all the time, sort of what's the difference between pushing our kids versus having appropriate expectations? What should we ask of our kids? And how do we know when we're pushing them towards perfectionism? So I love the question for that reason. I also love this question because these twins are eight years old, which means that mom, you're really thinking very consciously about what you want to instill in your children as they get older. You know, I always say this, it's never too late, but the earlier the better. You've got some time to help them figure this out because they're eight and there's a lot of learning and a lot of growing that's ahead of them. You're still actively parenting them in a way that maybe you're not able to do so much with your 16-year-old or your 17-year-old or your 22-year-old. Think about the skills that you want to develop in your children, not the outcome but the skills. Because what happens in this achievement culture that we live in is that we are really judging our kids and judging other people's kids by outcome. So whether or not they have the right grade point average, whether or not they are making the travel team for soccer, whether or not they're playing three different wind instruments. And if we back it up, And just think about what makes a good human? What makes a child become a teenager and then becomes an adult so that they are capable of making good decisions, making good choices, that they are capable of meeting their obligations, that they know how to take responsibility for the things that are theirs and not take responsibility for the things that aren't theirs. How do you teach a child how to get along with other people in a way that is supportive and also in a way in which they can accept support? So if we look at all those things and when you talk about work ethic, 
And when we break that down, work ethic means to me that you meet your obligations, you do what you said you were going to do, but we also leave some room for the fact that sometimes we can't. And so we know how to take responsibility for that. We know how to rejigger things in a way that allows us to figure out that maybe we took on too much or maybe this responsibility isn't something that we need at this point in our lives. All of those things are so helpful to kids right now. And when we get sucked into the achievement culture, when we start looking at grades, when we start looking at SAT scores later on in their lives, when we start looking at whether or not they're doing all of this great stuff that they're supposed to be doing based on this cultural push, that's when we start injecting our own perfectionism, our own expectations, our own ego into the parenting of our kids. I think that work ethic to me is about raising a principled child who becomes a principled adult. And it's interesting when you were listing what you thought the work ethic was, Mm -hmm. the ability to be accountable for your actions, the ability to own what you say and fulfill obligations that you set for yourself. All of those things, when you break them down, in order to do those require that emotional management that we talked about in the last episode. That's right. The ability to say, this is hard, I can't do it. The ability to say, I messed up and it had this impact and I'm sorry, what can we do now? Like all of those things, like being comfortable with the uncomfortable really help develop principles so that then you can look for a positive principled outcome. When my kids were little, one of the things that I always said was that I reward you and I'm very proud of you for your effort. I want to see you try when you want to try. And and if you put, try really hard to do something to see what you're able to do that might be new or a little intimidating, that takes a lot of courage. I'm proud of you for showing your courage. It's breaking it all down so that we're very anti-good grades in our house, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that our kids don't do well academically. It's that we prioritize their achievement in a different language. Well, think of it this way. If your goal is for your child to get good grades, okay, that's the goal. There are a lot of ways that people can get good grades. You can cheat. You can plagiarize. You can buy a paper written by somebody else. You can write the paper for them. If your goal is to get your child into a good college, there are a lot of ways that we can make that happen, including wealth and bribery and privilege and creating a resume for your child that doesn't mean anything to them, but means everything to the people who are going to be looking at that application. When we talk about the goal is the outcome, you know, the grade or whatever, versus the goal is the process, then one thing leads to the next. You're talking about those skills and I'm talking about those skills. What if one of the skills that you teach your children is if you tell somebody that you're going to do something or if it's something that you really feel like is important to you, how do you get from point A to point B? How do you finish the job even when you don't feel like it? If kids have that skill, they get good grades <laughs> because being able to do something when you don't feel like doing it is a really important part of a work ethic, isn't it? It's just this idea, like if you step back and say, what's the skill that I want my child to have versus what's the achievement that I want my child to get? Think about it, you know, we, we could take it in anything. We could take it in grades. We could take it in athletics. We could take it in terms of money. If you say, well, my goal is to have a lot of money, 
there are a lot of ways that people can get a lot of money. And many of them, none of us want our kids to participate in. But if we say we want our kids to find something that allows them to do the things that they like to do, and not necessarily even just a job, because some people do a job they don't particularly like, but they get a lot of money and then they're able to spend it on great travel. But thinking about the skill rather than the achievement. And a lot of what we know about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation with kids is really about teaching them how to move through things and really noticing, like you say, noticing their effort, noticing that they're stepping into something that feels challenging, noticing that they're taking a a reasonable amount of risk and having a goal and working toward it. All of that is so valuable. If I look at the kids that I know in this achievement culture, and believe me, I am steeped in this achievement culture because I am a specialist in anxiety. The achievement culture is an anxiety-producing machine. So I've been at the top schools in this country where they're really looking to try and figure out what can we do to help these kids. You can't have it both ways. You can't steep a child in this idea of achievement is based on the outcome that you get that is something that we measure, something that puts you on the top of the class, that you get into the best school, that you make the most money, that you fill in the blank. We can't have that culture and expect that our kids are not going to suffer and pay a price for it. I see it over and over again. I'll tell you, when I get a little irritated, the reason I get irritated is because I don't understand why we're missing the point here. People keep coming to me and saying, gosh, what can we do for our kids? What's going on? What's happening? I go to these schools where the tuition is unbelievable, and they've got a lot of great things going on in those schools. Don't get me wrong. They're very concerned, rightfully so, with the incredible focus on achievement such that kids are suffering with no sleep, They're suffering with anxiety. They're suffering with depression. They're literally pulling their hair out. You have to step back and say, what are the skills that we want to show our children that will lead them to wonderful places? But the wonderful place may not be the school that you have in mind. When I hear this question from this mom who's got these eight-year-olds and she's really thinking and saying, what are the skills that I want to teach my little kids? What does she say? I'm looking at the question now. It's important to us to set them up with skills like completing their work, doing good work, finishing things on time. Those are all really positive skills. And those can be separate from saying, I want them to make sure that they get into this college or they get all A's or they make this team or they, you know, they represent me in a way that shows how achieved our family is. Because those broken down are completing their work requires the ability to concentrate. Mm -hmm. Finishing things on time is about time management. Right. You're always about building skills and breaking all of this down into what these small skills are. That's actually like the best foundation you can do. Well, and it's like you said that the skill of emotional management and the ability to tolerate when things don't go the way you want them to go, the ability to handle disappointment. We've talked about that so many times, right? Mr. Rogers, if we're going to talk about Mr. Rogers, he has a great quote where he says, the most important learning is the ability to accept and expect mistakes and deal with the disappointment they bring. Like, wouldn't you want your child to have that skill? 
is that they they handle their mistakes. They accept when things don't go the way they want them to go. We were talking, you and I at another point, talking about the skill of making decisions, the skill, the skill of making choices. You had some quote talking about Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dumbledore has a quote. Basically, it's not our talents that define us, but it's the choices that we make. Mm-hmm. Right. And I love that. Some children are born naturally bright and they might be not very challenged at school. So you don't want to continue rewarding them for something that they're achieving good grades, but they actually haven't applied any effort because that's going to be a train wreck. Right. The other thing that you could probably elaborate on, because in my limited experience, I know this, is that at eight, children simply aren't done yet. Right. So they don't know how to do all these things. You have to model it for them. So if you're saying, okay, so this is an eight-year-old and we really want to teach them how to get their work done on time, Okay, that means you have to show them how that's done. Maybe you you use a timer. They don't even know how to tell time yet, maybe. There are all these things that you do. So when you're thinking about what kids need to learn, then you've you've got to recognize that you have to teach it, of course. And at eight, they don't know how to do very much yet. They're still really in the process of learning them. If you think about one of the the things I just mentioned a few moments ago about making choices and making decisions. Somebody just emailed me recently and said they, they, they want to talk to me because they feel like their anxiety is, is pretty good, except they have a horrible time making decisions. And they're wondering, how are they going to teach their child to make good decisions when they can't do them themselves? The ability to choose what somebody said to me once, I mean, I have all these pearls of wisdom that I get from people that I've learned from, is that when you choose one thing, it means you're giving up something else. In order to get a job done, it means you can't do something else while you're doing that job. In order to get something done on time, it means you have to sacrifice that other activity for a little while in order to focus on the activity that has a time limit. There are all these skills that we just have all these opportunities to teach. What I truly see all the time is that when you focus on achievement as the end goal, as the thing that your child can do, the thing that you take the most pride in is the achievement You are trying to skip over, oftentimes, a lot of the important steps that a child needs to take that leads them to that achievement. And I do think in the achievement culture, we want to help them jump over all those steps and just get them to the end. How do we get to that place without teaching all those steps along the way? This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. I know with my kids, we really wanted to help them see the cause and effect, right? If you spend money now, you're not going to have it later. If you earn money now and you save it, maybe you can put it towards some big purchase that you're looking forward to. This is called financial literacy, and it allows kids to build independence, to learn how money works, to make them better savers, better spenders. The Greenlight app also comes with an in-app financial literacy game. It's called Level Up, so that kids can build money confidence through videos, bite-sized challenges, mini games, and more. More than 6 million parents and kids use Greenlight to learn how to make 
responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful? but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then, like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. It's in-network with most major insurers. There's no need to commute to appointments. You won't miss time at work or have to line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. Talkspace lets you send messages to your therapist so you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can help you shift your perspective and find tools to cope in difficult times. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. We just had report cards at our house. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if what I do is that different from other parents, but I feel like as I try and incorporate so much that you've taught me, I actually don't even look at the grades. I look at the teacher's comments Mm -hmm. and and I always pull out, I'm so proud of you that your teacher thinks you're working really hard. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of you that your teacher said you improved here and here. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud of you that your teacher thinks you're a polite student. Mm -hmm. I don't focus on the grades. And then when there has been a grade that has come up that wasn't the same as the others, Mm -hmm. I simply say, I'm not that concerned about the grades. Your grades are your business. And I can see my kids pushing back. My kids push back because we're in such a grade-obsessed culture. I see them like looking and pointing and looking at me, waiting for me to give them more there. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know what? I want to protect you from Mm -hmm. that culture. So in this house, that's just not where I'm going. Yeah. Say at one point, one of your kids says like, hey, did you see I last, you know, I had a I had a B or I had a C, whatever, and did you see it went up to an A? You can say, Oh, that's great. Explain to me how you did that. You're looking at the grades and you're seeing these comments about your children that make you feel so proud. What if you had a report card that was all A's and the comments were like, um, he doesn't really get along well with other children, but it doesn't really bother him. Or she seems to be very proud in her own success, yet I don't see her being very empathic with other children that are less talented, right? I mean, would you be like, well, at least you got an A? When I put it in stark terms like that, people would say, oh, well, I'd never, I'd never do that. Look, the achievement culture, like I say, we want to hopscotch, we want to leapfrog over a lot of the important steps. We want to get in there and make sure that everything goes perfectly or that the expectations that our kids are meeting are expectations and we lose track of the skills. We lose track of them. You know, as you're listening to this, parents, and particularly if you've got a second grader or a first grader or a third grader, just take a moment to really think about what are the skills as a human being that you really value in your children. Creating a child that has a strong work ethic is a bunch of skills that you put together so that when that 
person becomes an adult and they are running their own bakery, or they are a second grade teacher, or they are an emergency room nurse, or they are running their own plumbing company, other people can depend on them to do the things that they say that they are going to do. And that is an amazing quality to have in a human being. You've got a kid, you're saying, oh, he's trustworthy, right? He shows up when he's going to show up. He does what he says he's going to do. And if he can't do it, he owns it. He doesn't make an excuse. He doesn't blame other people. He doesn't put it off. He doesn't lie. He says, I'm really sorry I overbooked myself. Well, this is also about, you know, you're such a proponent of talking with your kids at dinner about things that surprised you that day. Mm -hmm. And then in the last episode about the anxiety vaccine and unpacking how how do you have conversations that promote emotional management with your families, Mm -hmm. it's basically taking as much of an active role as we possibly can, verbalizing what we're modeling so that we are are focused on really important skills that matter to us that we want our children to understand. Right. Because they're not going to really learn time management unless you talk about it. Right. You got to talk them through it. When our kids were little and we had to get dressed and go to carpool for them to get to the little school they went to and we had to pick up other kids, we talked about let's set the timer on the stove because when the timer goes off, that means we need to stop what we're doing and we need to start getting ready. Part of this is my husband's mother is horribly, horribly late to things in a way that has inconvenienced and pissed him off his entire life. So we're going to teach our kids how you show up on time. It was a skill that they learned. And we started talking them through it when they were four and three and six and eight. It didn't always happen perfectly, of course, but that's exactly right, Robin. It's about talking to kids and pointing out to them, you know, and there was one house we would go to and, uh, well, consistently, maybe they weren't ready to go. And my kids would be like, they are not putting aside what they need to do and starting to get ready with a few minutes left, right? I mean, they they saw the process. So it's really talking. That's exactly right. It's such a good point. And it really just weave it into your normal parenting. Just weave it into the language that you use. Can I tell you the skill that I didn't realize, like what you were talking about of showing up on time? Yeah. Well past the time I should have, but I thought this was genius, is that one family, when their kids were like two or three, they used dolls and stuffed animals and actively showed them how to fall asleep by themselves. What does it look like when you're really little to actually fall asleep and to teach it as a skill? Sometimes you fall asleep and you didn't even know you did. But if you want to fall asleep, how do you do that? And they would actually walk through and teach a two or three-year-old. And I, I read this too late. Yeah. Sharing because it's genius. Yeah, that is genius. And I love that. I'm going to tuck that away in my little file cabinet. You're all about teaching skills. And that's what I have learned this past year doing the podcast with you is how do I filter and look at experiences from that perspective now that I wouldn't have before? Yeah. And the achievement culture is just so much about outcome. It's so much about what can I get? If the goal is to get a lot of money, there's a lot of ways you can do it. If the goal is to get good grades, there are a lot of ways that you can do it. If the goal is to be the most important person in the room, there's a lot of ways that you can do that. Are those the qualities that you want to promote in your children? Can I actually push a little on that? Mm -hmm. I don't dispute that. Mm -hmm. But when I think of the achievement culture and I think of I think it's a very powerful force that you have to be very conscious to fight against. Mm -hmm. 
when I unpack it, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that mothers work. There is a lot of horrific gender oppression in parenting Mm -hmm. because a mother's work is invisible and not acknowledged. And I think that, and I have a great story to prove that point. We were flying with my family before the pandemic somewhere and we were on a full flight and there was a man with a two-year-old, let's say, and maybe like an eight-week-old. The three of them sat in the row across the aisle from us. Every single person walked by, cheered him on and spoke to him like he was a rock star Mm -hmm. or a movie star. Mm -hmm. And he had just won the Nobel Prize. (laughs) And I elbow my husband and I say, how many times did I do that? Yeah. I flew by myself with both of our kids. Yep. And instead, people walk by a mother holding both of their kids on an airplane like, you're going to be noisy and you're going to disrupt my peace and quiet. Mm Mm-hmm. Mothering is so hard in our culture to feel gratified or to feel seen or to feel rewarded. And so I do think that there is a lot there that forces people to look for these external egoic achievements because it's just a part of a coping mechanism. I'm not saying it's right, but maybe it's a source that makes it easier to unpack and see where our own blind spots are still attaching to that achievement culture. Oh, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm a big, big fan of talking about the the forces of family and the forces of culture. Not only is the achievement culture around us and as moms, you know, it's sort of like, how do we show our worth, right? Because we know that mothering, like you say, right? How do we, how do we show the results of our labor, so to speak? It becomes this thing that we're, that we're trying to, to gratify ourselves too. I totally get that. And I do think that moms deal with it a lot more than dads, for sure, because I've seen that situation happen a gazillion times too. A parent is judged in their own family based on their children's achievement, and yes. it's it's just so generational. It's so societal. It's so social, really. Like whether it's a family social construct or our society social construct. Yeah, absolutely. So I am, this is why it has to be a conscious choice. And you're often pushing back against a very strong tide for sure. That's why it has to be a really conscious thing that you do. And it's not comfortable in a lot of ways to do it for sure. Because, and this is what I say when I'm in these schools, right? And they're saying like, what can we do? You know, we've got an anxiety rate of of 42% of our kids are this or this or this. I say, well, you're asking me to fix these kids that are really struggling when the culture of this institution and all the things that surround it have been set up. They're doing exactly what you are asking them to do. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do in this culture. So you're saying you want to fix them. That's why we got to pull it up. That's where I, I start talking about the the paradigm shift that needs to happen. Go ahead and say it because you're saying to fix them. Who do they need to fix, Lynn? It's the grownups. It's the grownups. Kids don't do this on their own. They don't say, you know what? I really want to be stressed out. I really want to push myself to the point where I'm not getting enough sleep or I really want to be, I really want to earn your love by getting all A's. They don't decide that on their own. We do that. Our culture has done that in so many ways. When we're talking about anxiety in this culture, and and, and also let me just make it clear, I'm talking about anxiety that is based on this idea of achievement that you know we've got so many anxious kids because they feel like they have to push and achieve and get good grades. We also have this whole other group of kids that are anxious 
If you're in a family where you don't have enough food, if you're in a family where you are trying to keep a roof over your head, if you're in a family that's been dealing with systemic racism or you're not sure exactly what is is around the corner for you in so many different ways because of what's going on in our world right now, that is a whole other level of anxiety that we have to address and deal with. So it really becomes this dichotomous thing in a lot of ways that we can look at what kids on one end of the scale with this achievement, how they are reacting and how they are responding and how their mental health is really in the crapper for a lot of, for a lot of these achievement oriented kids. And then on the other spectrum, when we look at the impact of the anxiety of being able to live safely, the impact of that on kids' mental health and the intersectionality of the kids' burden with anxiety from both ends of the spectrum. Right. There are a lot of skills that we get to teach that are really enjoyable and wonderful to teach. These are different than the sad and horrible skills we have to teach to kids whose anxiety is based on trauma, whose anxiety is based on a lack of safety and a lack of security in their lives. As we talk about that family's question, it really hits the point home that emotional management from the parent is just the foundation for really keeping the family healthy. It makes me think of the anxiety audit and what a critical tool it is for parents. As I say so often, we can get caught up in the psychobabble of things and pathologizing things, of worrying about what's wrong with our kids. And I really just want to simplify it. I really want to put it in language that says, as there are patterns that we get caught up in, that we don't know that we're even doing it, that they are not uncommon at all, particularly after the year that we've just had. And it really is so important for us to take a step back, look at our own patterns, figure out how we're perhaps transmitting our own stress and anxiety to our kids, and to figure out how to interrupt that. That's what the anxiety audit is about. It's for parents to go through to really recognize those anxious patterns for themselves. Right. You know, I meet with so many families, and the parents that I talk to love their children, adore their children, want the best for their children. And so they come in saying, I need to help my child. And sometimes the first step is really, how do you look at your own patterns so that you can help your child? Because a lot of what we do as parents comes from the most wonderful place. It's just that we all come into parenting, certainly with our own baggage, but also just with the remnants of what life throws at us. And it really is so important that we step back and look at our patterns so that we can do what we want for our kids. Right. And you can't even talk about this without the context of 2020 as well. Of course. How many parents would say, uh, yeah, no, everything went really smoothly. We went through 2020 being challenged to handle big emotions, having to adapt feeling overwhelmed, sometimes even feeling panicky. And if we remember that anxiety wants certainty and comfort, 2020 was not that year. And maybe what 2020 did was sort of help you recognize patterns that had been around for a long time that now it's really okay for you to look at and for you to interrupt. So we have the recorded version, and then we also have this live event so that if you have questions, you will have access. So it'll be interactive, which is pretty cool, I think. So you can do the anxiety audit on your own, or you can complete the workshop live with Lynn on March 6th. 
The first sold out, the second one will too. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclucks. Thrivemarket.com slash flusterclucks. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well, many are destined to fail. But lucky for you, here's one easy resolution idea that we gave you that we can all make and it will make your life easier. It'll be kinder to our planet and it will transform the way you do laundry in 2024. And that is switching to Earth Breeze. Earth Breeze looks like dryer sheets, but it's ultra concentrated laundry detergent and it couldn't be easier. You just throw a sheet in with your laundry in any temperature and you watch it dissolve in any wash cycle hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no fuss, there's no wasteful plastic jug. EarthBreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again thanks to EarthBreeze flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping 40% when you subscribe. Shipping's always free and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to EarthBreeze won't only make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if Earth Breeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclucks for 40% off your subscription. All right, so what are we going to do about this, right? We've got these skyrocketing rates of anxiety. We've got a lot of worry and people are talking about the COVID slide and our kids falling behind in their learning. And I can I can feel the achievement culture starting to crackle away. I can feel it popping up underneath my feet. I want you to just slow down a little bit and I want you to really pay attention. What do you want your child to value? What do you want your child to see as important? 
Do you want them to see relationships as important? Do you want to see the work ethic of keeping your word, of showing up on time, of being responsible? Do you want your kids to be able to manage things when they don't go their way? Do you want kids to be able to get things done because you have to get things done even when they don't feel like it? Help them work through those sticky times. Think about the skill or skills that you most value, maybe in the people that you most admire. You know, think about a person that you really admire. Think about a mentor that you had or or a family member. Think about your partner. Think about your favorite teacher. What do you want your child to absorb from you? And how are you going to show your kids not only how to do it, but the fact that you value it more than an A? Look, if they get an A, that's great. But how did they get that A? What were the skills that went into it? If they made the baseball team, how did they do that? If they happen to be the biggest kid in the class and they're athletically talented, well, you know, okay, they stepped up. How did they make the team? They brought their big, strong athletic body to the tryouts. But if you've got a kid who's stepping into something, who's working at something, who's trying to figure it out, that's what I want you to talk up. That's what I want you to recognize. Break it down, the skills you want your kids to have. That's a wonderful achievement, and it's so much more meaningful than an, than an A. The lowest grade I ever got in my academic career, by the way, just so you all know, was in Psychology 101. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Yeah, because you know what the skill I didn't have? Well, it's interesting. The skill I did have, because I had learned it, was that you show up to class all the time, and you do your work, and you stay up all night if you have to, right? So I was one of those, right? I know this culture well, by the way. The skill I didn't have was being able to disseminate information from people that wasn't really accurate. My roommates told me that you didn't have to go to a big lecture class because all the stuff that was going to be on the exams was in the textbook. Now, this was a new idea to me. I didn't realize that you were allowed to skip class. I thought it was kind of interesting to try out. So I did. And guess what? All the information on the exam wasn't what was in the textbook. It was what the teacher talked about at the lecture. So I didn't do very well in the class. I learned the lesson. So what's the skill? Now I, uh, I have learned to uh, check my sources. I don't even think my parents looked at my grades in college. Did your parents look at your grades in college? I think I admitted this on another podcast. Yeah. So when I was in sixth grade, I started forging my mom's signature on all of my tests. Yeah. So it was always the same signature. And my mom's parenting here, I think, really benefited me. But truthfully, she did this by accident. She wasn't consciously thinking of like, I'm going to promote academic achievement and independence in my daughter. She wasn't thinking that way at all. Mm -hmm. However, what I took from it was my schoolwork was my business. Mm. I I was doing it for me and I wasn't doing it for that moment where you're like, you're wanting someone to pat you on the head. Right. I think there are so many parents who are hearing this. The achievement culture is really ingrained in them. It is. I I know it, but it, and it truly is. I mean, that's why we're calling it the achievement culture, not saying like it's the achievement, you know, hanging around when it feels like it. It's not, it's, it's, it's so incredibly powerful and it's really hard to let go of. And this is where that all or nothing thinking comes in, that when I talk to people about the achievement culture, parents will come back at me and say, okay, so it's fine if my kids get all Ds and Fs, like you don't care if they fail out of school. Nope, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, what are the skills that your child needs to do well in life? 
And how are we going to allow them to learn how to do that? And that includes relationships and emotional management and showing up on time and making sure that if you are doing a job for somebody else, you do quality work and, and, and. But it's this real all or nothing thinking sometimes that parents come back at me with. It also means if, if your kid's getting all Ds or Fs, do they know the skill of knowing how to ask for help? Right. It's not about throwing them into the deep end and hope they know how to swim. It's about saying, what am I paying attention to? What do my children not know how to do and how do I teach it? The other thing is, you know, up here in New England, when you're paying over $50,000 a year for these private schools, Mm -hmm. there becomes this consumer demand aspect too. I'm spending this money with the expectation that my child is going to get into the following Ivy League schools. Mm -hmm. It's a tough culture to go up. People are not going to want to be casual about their child's academic outcomes when they have invested so much money in it. Oh, I know. (laughs) Yes, you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fine line I walk. But you know what? Let me say this. When I go into the pinnacle of the achievement culture, what I have found, particularly in the last few years, is that teachers, parents, administrators, the reason that they're having me in is because they are sincerely trying to figure this out. And I'm sure that there are some parents that listen to me and are sort of like, yeah, 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 whatever. But for the most part, the feedback that I get from parents and from schools is that there really is a sincere and very genuine desire to try and figure this out. It's just really, really hard because you got to let go of something in order to get something else. And it's that trapeze analogy, right? You're on the trapeze and you're like, I hate this trapeze. And somebody throws the other trapeze towards you. And you know, in therapy, I use this metaphor a lot, right? Okay. So this trapeze is going to be better for you. I need you to let go of the one you got and grab onto the one I'm sending you. And that is really, really hard. So I, I get that. And I have a lot of empathy for that. It's just powerful. So, and there's my empathy. And then also what comes, you know, hangs out with my empathy is just sort of this irritation I get sometimes that says like, we can't keep doing this. And people saying like, we don't understand. We don't understand. Look, it's not that complicated. So, so it's a process. I get it. I just, I just keep banging my little drum, going on my little rants, you know, showing up. Talky, 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 as my family says. <laughs> Long before I met and married your brother, I'm now remembering my chosen high school yearbook quote for senior year. What was it? Mark Twain's, I never let my schooling interfere with my education. <gasps> you were such a wise, young, little teenager, weren't you? Well, no, I'm just saying that, you know. No, I'm my, serious. My, hu- my husband is my soulmate and you're my soulmate in law. <laughs> So no, but I'm serious. You were really wise, like to be able to recognize that. Uh, so I went to one of these private schools that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and very much the achievement culture. And I just sort of looked around and I thought there are a lot of people here willing to play the game defined by this place, mm-hmm. but the world is much bigger than this place to me. Yeah, and that's a really that's a really key thing too. And that's a hard sell, isn't it? That you can really do very well and learn a lot. And, you know, if we're looking at grades, get good grades or produce good work or whatever, without all of that extraneous clenching that I talk about, that all of that layer of expectation and perfectionism and success and needing to prove something over and over and over again. This is an uphill climb for sure. But like I say, I'll just keep, I'll just keep talking. I'll just keep Some people are hearing you, I know. 
well, look, I got plenty of work. I'm never short on work, right? So you want a steady job, go into the anxiety biz in 2020. You are set. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) It's like emptying septic tanks, right? There's never going to be a shortage of shit. So (laughs) I just made that up just now. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. I've never used that comparison before. (laughs) I think this is a really tough topic for people. I know that I'm always trying to check myself on this. It's so hard. I know. That's why I say I walk around with a combination of empathy and irritation. That's a constant state I'm in because uh, this means so much to me. And uh, as you're listening to this, if you're sort of pushing back and feeling defensive and, right, that's totally normal. It's okay. Just let it sink in, right? Just just little, little chunks at a time. You know what this reminds me of? You gave the talk December of 2019, you know, talking about the ways Mr. Rogers influenced you as a therapist. Mm -hmm. It's that one quote about you don't have to do anything exceptional to be loved. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is the exact quote? Yeah, very close to that. You don't have to be exceptional to be loved is basically what it says. So here is the thing that really hit me as I think about how our parenting culture, I say this all the time because I feel like our parenting culture has just kind of gone off the rails. We've normalized toxic patterns, toxic behaviors, and toxic things that we shouldn't have, That which is why we have the mental health rates. I mean, that's just my opinion. When I think of our social media culture, and I think about when people post something on Facebook, especially after their children reach a certain age, every listener should look at their own Facebook Facebook feed, look at when they mention their children. Are you also posting about an accomplishment that they did that is an external thing that you can share? Mm -hmm. Is that how your child is always mentioned? And it's an interesting way of meeting that ROI on parenting. I'm putting all this effort into raising my kids and I need some sort of external reward for the hard work of raising my family. Mm-hmm. I don't have any answers, but I do feel like there's a lot of murky stuff there that we all have to sort through. There's just so much. And I know I'm sort of talking about this in, in such a global way. So let me just sort of bring it back to sort of what we can do as parents, because it is sort of the macro can get overwhelming, but you have a say in what your children learn. You have a say in the skills that you develop in them. Parenting, it's hard work for sure, but I'll tell you, like, teaching these skills to kids, this is one of the things too, Robin, I'm sure that you can kind of relate to too. It's fun to teach your kids these skills. It's wonderful to teach your kids these skills. It's a privilege to be able to teach your kids these skills. And it doesn't need to feel like such emergent, horrible, hard work when you just make it a part of the way that you show your kids the things that are important to them becoming, like you said, wonderful, caring, empathic human beings. So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Flusterclux. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.